Well, good morning, everybody. It's so wonderful to see you here this morning. Wasn't that special just hearing how God's working? It's been an amazing month for us here at our church, and I want to bring our month to a close with a message that I've entitled, The Progress of the Gospel. That's how we're going to close this month, The Progress of the Gospel. And we're going to spend time in a passage in Philippians chapter 1. Did you know that Philippians is a missions letter? The entire letter is a missions letter from one partner, Paul, to another partner, a church at Philippi. It's a letter from one missionary to his friends, his friends in Philippi. Here at our church, throughout this last month, we've had the opportunity and the privilege to hear from our friends, our global partners. And I, for one, I've been so encouraged by the stories that we've heard throughout this month. You know, God is working. He's working here in our local communities. It's evident we've heard about that. He's working throughout our country. We've heard about that. And he is working throughout our world. No matter where we are, we see God work. Whether it's here, whether it's abroad, no matter where we are, God is working. And I want us to see this morning where Paul was when God was working through him. And so in your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Philippians 1. And we're going to start in verse 12. And we'll unpack this uh, all-important passage. Philippians chapter 1, I'll start in verse 12. Paul writes this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. We'll stop right there. All right, who here has been to Rome, Italy? Can I see your hands? A number of you, okay? A number of you have visited Rome. Rome is a travel destination. It's like a bucket list city for many travelers. I one day hope to visit Rome. In Paul's day, Rome was the most important city. It was the number one city in Paul's day. And Paul knew that if he could preach the gospel in Rome, the impact would be far Reaching. That's why he had to go to Rome. There was no option but to go to Rome in Paul's mind. In fact, we know that he had to go to Rome because the book of Acts tells us that. In Acts 19, this is what it says in verse 21. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So the context is this. After all that happened in Asia Minor, all the miracles and all the healings that God performed through Paul, Paul was set on going to Rome to preach the gospel. And guess what? He made it to Rome. But here's the twist. Paul had planned to go to Rome as a preacher. He ended up doing his best work as a prisoner. You see, because when Paul arrived in Rome, he was put under house 
arrest. And so the circumstances that Paul found himself in Rome were not the circumstances that he had planned out for himself. Now, most of us, at least I, I like it when things go according to plan. Right? I like to plan things, and I like to see them go according to those plans. Many people like planning trips. In fact, there are some people who like planning the trip more than the trip itself. And maybe you're like that. You love planning your trip. You love going to YouTube and looking at all the travel channels and getting ideas of where to visit, where not to visit, what to pack, what not to pack. So there are many of us who like to plan for trips, and some people love just the aspect of planning for a trip. But maybe you've discovered throughout the course of your travels that sometimes... The most memorable parts of a trip are the parts that don't go according to plan. Maybe you've discovered that there are certain things that happen that you didn't necessarily plan for, and those stand out as the most memorable parts of that trip. This past weekend has been eventful for us here in Southern California as far as weather goes. That's the number one topic this entire weekend. It's been cold, it's been rainy here, which means that it's snowing in the mountains. You know by now that the experts say that this has been the most severe snowstorm in over three decades. Now, that means something to me because I remember that snowstorm three plus decades ago. You see, because at that time, I was a college student. I was part of a campus fellowship we were at our annual retreat in the mountains. We had planned a two-night, three-day retreat. I was part of the leadership team, and we had planned out a two-night, three-day retreat. We all drove our cars up there. We caravanned up to the mountain, enjoyed the first day, enjoyed the first night, and enjoyed the, third, uh, the second day. And then we went to sleep that final night. When we woke up the next morning... We couldn't locate our cars. They had disappeared. We could not see a single car in the parking lot because all the cars were under six feet of snow. Just snow just dumped on our cars that previous night. And so we woke up. Bags were all packed, but we had nowhere to go. We were snowed in. In fact, this past weekend, I saw on some of my friends' Facebook pages, their kids who were up in the mountains this past weekend, their kids are snowed in. And they haven't been able to get back. And so as a college student, there I was with my friends up in the mountains 30-plus years ago, and we were snowed in. The roads were closed. You couldn't get down. You couldn't get up. And so that morning, all of us college students, we scrambled. We were worried. I'm sure our parents were worried. And so we got on our phones. Well, actually, we didn't have phones back then. And so, so we, we used a camp phone, and each of us called all our parents and said, Mom, Dad, we're okay. We're safe. We're at a nice retreat site, but we're not coming home today. In fact, we ended up spending two more days up at the retreat site because we could not get down the mountain. Now, thankfully, 
at the retreat site, we had plenty of food because the group that was supposed to come up after us, they couldn't come up. So we ate all their food. So that was good. And then our guest speaker, he couldn't get down the mountain, so he was stuck with us. He couldn't get home, but he was so kind and gracious that he spoke extra messages for those next two days. And then our leadership team, on the spot, we had to plan out more activities for the next two days. But I'll tell you, I recall with fondness, 30-plus years later, how special those last two days were at the retreat. We sang a lot of songs. Whoever knew how to play the guitar just picked up the guitar and led song after song after song. We played games until the wee hours of the night, and we ate a lot of food, and we bonded together. And so after the initial shock that we weren't going home, we enjoyed a memorable retreat. Now, our situation was nothing like Paul's. When Paul arrived in Rome, he was put under house arrest. He didn't plan for that. But even before he was under arrest, years before, he faced all kinds of difficult situations. He was beaten physically. He received death threats. He survived a shipwreck. He even survived a poisonous snake bite. Through it all, the one thing that Paul did not do was feel sorry for himself. Through all the circumstances, he did not feel sorry for himself. He didn't ask himself the question, why is this happening to me? Didn't Christ come to make my life better? But here's a question Paul asked himself. In every one of the circumstances, the one question he asked himself was this. Are my circumstances providing greater opportunity for the cause of Christ to go forward? And if the answer is yes, then I will rejoice, no matter the cost to me. It was costly for Paul to see the gospel advance. And yet, that brought him joy because that is what matters most to Paul, the gospel. And he knew that that mattered most to his friends in Philippi. That's why he was so eager to pick up the pen and write them this letter to share the results of his imprisonment. So what were the results? Let's continue on. Look at verse 13. As a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So let me describe to you what house arrest was like for Paul. He was in his home, but... He was chained to a guard 24-7 in his home. Now, he was also given permission at times to go outside his house into the city. But he had to be chained. And so he was chained inside his home and outside his home 24 hours a day. He was chained to the palace guards. These young men, they were the, the best of the best. They were handpicked by Caesar. 
as part of his household. And so Caesar assigned these men to be chained to Paul. Did you get that? They were chained to Paul. They were chained to him, this fascinating man. And they had to listen to this man 24-7. So they became Paul's captive audience. So as they were chained to Paul, they would listen to Paul pray throughout the day. They would listen to Paul sing throughout the day. When they went out into the streets, they would listen to Paul preach throughout the streets. They had no choice. Break me free. No, no. They couldn't. They were chained to Paul. So they saw Paul sit down to write the letter to the Philippian church. So imagine sitting next to Paul, sitting down. Now imagine if you were sitting next to somebody for hours on end, and that person's writing emails on the computer. You ever fly, and the person's next to you is like on the computer doing something? It's, it's tempting to look over, isn't it? It's tempting. But imagine being chained to Paul. Write, he's writing letters to his missionary churches. They had to have seen what he was writing. Paul had a captive audience. This reminds me of something a friend of mine once experienced. A pastor friend of mine once had car trouble. And he shared the story with me that he had car trouble, so he called the tow truck company to come tow his car. And what happens when you get your car towed, you have to sit in the passenger seat. So my friend, the pastor, got into the tow truck next to the driver. And as they're driving away, my friend, the pastor, notices a Bible on the dash. And so my friend gets to talking with the tow truck driver. And my friend learns that the driver uses his tow truck company as a ministry opportunity. And so every time this guy gets uh, called to come out and tow a car, he'll hook the car up. The stranded driver will hop into the passenger seat and becomes a captive audience. <laughs> and so for miles and miles... The passenger gets to hear the tow truck driver share about his faith. Isn't that amazing? And at the end of every trip, when it's time to say goodbye, the driver hands the passenger some literature on how this person can come to know Jesus. What a wonderful ministry. I imagine these palace guards learned about Jesus by being chained to Paul 24-7. In fact, I don't have to even imagine that. I know that for a fact. Because I'm going to take you to the most fascinating ending to a letter in chapter 4. So in your Bibles, go to Philippians 4. And I want to read to you verses 21 and 22. And Paul ends this by saying, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings. Get this. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. That's a reference to the palace guards. This is almost humorous. 
Paul's saying, everybody sends greetings. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, so do the uh, uh, members of Caesar's household. These are the palace guards who came to faith while being chained to Paul. Amazing. Paul wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel in a powerful way, and he did. He just didn't do it as a preacher. He did it as a prisoner. And what happened to Paul actually served to advance the gospel in ways that he did not prepare for. And it was not an accident. As followers of Jesus Christ, we know this. There are no accidental circumstances. There are no accidental circumstances. We know that God is in complete control of our circumstances. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's hard to know and accept because many of our circumstances are difficult. But there are no accidental circumstances. God is in complete control. Every circumstance that you and I are in is an opportunity to live out our lives of faith. And here's what we know. Our circumstances they will change. That's a guarantee. And so for those of you right now who are at a peak, you're enjoying life, I don't want to be a downer, but there will be a valley. And that's why when you're at the peak, enjoy that, because a valley will come. It will come. But if you're in the valley right now, please know this. The sun will come out you will experience hope. And so our circumstances change. Seasons change. What remains constant is this, the opportunity to live out our faith and proclaim the gospel. That never changes. It does not change based on the circumstance. We have the opportunity to live out our faith and to proclaim the gospel. Now, does this mean that we have to like our circumstances? No. Please don't think for a moment that Paul liked his circumstances. Being chained was not fun for Paul. So I don't want you to think, oh yeah, Paul, he just, he, he enjoyed being chained to guards 24-7. In fact, we know that it was just the opposite. There's a powerful scene in the book of Acts, chapter 26, Paul is speaking with Herod Agrippa. And Herod has come to hear Paul's defense. And this is what we read in Acts 26, verses 28 and 29. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me may become what I am, except for these chains. And Paul lifted his hands and showed Agrippa, except for these chains. I would wish this on nobody. He did not like his chains any more than you and I would like being chained. He did not like his circumstances, but he knew that God was using his circumstances. 
You see, that meant much more to him than his suffering. He knew that God was in control of his circumstances. And so when Paul talks about joy, by the way, if you've ever studied the book of Philippians, you know that joy is a repeated theme. And Paul mentions the word joy or rejoice somewhere between 15 to 20 times throughout the short letter. And whenever he talks about joy, we need to understand that there's a difference between happiness and joy. Please know this. Paul was not happy in his suffering in Rome. Happiness is contentment because of circumstances. Joy is contentment regardless of circumstances. That's why Paul experienced joy. Happiness depends on our circumstances. Joy happens regardless of our circumstances. And that's why spiritual maturity is not measured by how happy we are in life. Spiritual maturity is measured by how much we rejoice, no matter our circumstances. As we continue on, we're going to come across a section here that might be surprising to some. Did you know that Paul even found joy in the midst of his critics who had ulterior motives? Paul was able to find joy. Look at verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Rivalry, envy, jealousy. These are not unique to the 21st century church. The first century church experienced these conflicts as well. Did you know that not everybody in the church liked Paul? He had his critics. And in fact, there are many in the church who tried to make life difficult for Paul. So his critics would go around trying to get others to turn against Paul. And these critics, they put their personal agendas ahead of the mission. Some of you know the story of the church where Joanne and I got married nearly 25 years ago. So this November, we'll celebrate our 25th anniversary. And in 1998, we got married at a large church in Los Angeles. And I'll say this, we have no connection with this church okay, except for the fact that we, just, we got married there. It was just our wedding venue, so keep that in mind. Okay? So we got married at this large church in Los Angeles. And one of the guests 
at our wedding was a co-worker of Joanne's. At that time, Joanne was an elementary school teacher in Hacienda Heights. And so one of the guests was a co-worker from Joanne's school. And so her co-worker came to our wedding along with her husband, who was an LAPD officer. So keep that in mind. So we have these guests at our wedding. The wedding day comes and goes. It was a wonderful wedding. A few months later, after the wedding, Joanne's co-worker tells her something. Joanne's co-worker tells her that her husband, the police officer, and his partner were called to that same church. They had to respond to a call at that church on a Sunday morning because a fight broke out during worship. So they had to call the police to break up this fight in the middle of worship. And later when we heard the story, I thought it was so sweet because uh, Joanne's co-worker's husband, the police officer, he was so concerned, thinking that I was a pastor at the church, he went around, where's Tim Park? Where's Pastor Tim? Is he okay? Is he okay? Where's Pastor Tim? I thought that was so sweet that he was looking out for me. We said, no, 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 no. We have no association. We just got married there. But the fact that he was called there two months later to break up a fight. After that, I thought long and hard about that scene and what it must have looked like to these police officers. Here's my thought. I imagine that the members of that church all had the same passionate commitment to the church as the people they were fighting. I imagine that was the case. They were equally committed to the church. I imagine they also had the same theology as the people across the aisles. So what got in the way? Pride, selfish ambition, and personal agendas. Personal agendas became more important than the mission. But here's the most remarkable thing. Paul was able to rejoice even despite his critics. People were trying to turn others against Paul. And people put their own personal agendas above the mission. And yet, Paul rejoiced. Why? You see, it didn't matter to him, even though he didn't like it, that people were pitting other people against him. I imagine he faced pain and heartache. Paul had feelings like anybody else. But what mattered most to Paul was the gospel. He would not allow pride and selfishness to win. One of the hardest things that you and I will ever have to do in the context of a church as ministers, we are all ministers here. One of the hardest things that you and I will ever have to do in the context of a church is to forgive somebody who has wronged us. 
And we've all been hurt. And we've all hurt others. And the hardest thing we'll do is to forgive someone who has hurt us. How we respond is a reflection of our commitment to the gospel. Paul looked beyond selfishness and personal agendas, and he fixed his mind on the gospel, and yes, he rejoiced. Amazing, he rejoiced. Let's see what he writes in the final verses. We'll pick it up in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to, be de to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. No matter what would happen to Paul, Christ was going to be exalted through him. Paul would later actually be put to death. In this first imprisonment in Rome, he spent two years in house arrest. He was released, but then later on, he was put back in prison. And during his second imprisonment, he was executed. And when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church, he knew that he could die at any moment. But he also knew that while he was here on earth, his ministry was necessary to strengthen the faith of the Philippians. The reason why we have Missions Month every year is so that our global partners can come here and remind us through their encouragement that what we're doing matters. Our global partners come and encourage us and let us know by what they're doing and by hearing their stories, our faith is strengthened. And no matter what happened to Paul, Christ would be exalted. And that's why Paul was always looking out for the best interest of others. That's why later on in his letter, he encouraged the Philippians to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And encourage them to value others above themselves. I imagine the one thing that Paul never said to himself when he looked in the mirror was this. Paul, you have to do what's best for you. I imagine Paul never once said that. Paul, do what's best for you. Now, we hear that phrase often. You got to do what's best for you. And, and I understand. I understand the intention, and I understand that it's important that we need to take care 
of ourselves. We have to be healthy emotionally, mentally, physically. That is important. But I think as followers of Jesus, the better question is this, or the better mindset is this. You got to do what's best for the kingdom of God. And so within that context, here's how it works. When we approach life with that attitude, you've got to do what's best for the kingdom of God. Then everything we do, work, rest, sleep, nutrition, leisure, all those things serve that purpose of the kingdom of God. And there's a huge difference there. Because if we just simply say, you got to do what's best for you, we are the end. We are the goal. When we say, do what's best for the kingdom of God, that is the end goal. And we live our lives in light of that, and everything we do serves that purpose. Throughout this month, we've heard many encouraging stories from our partners in the gospel and how God called them into their respective fields We've heard powerful stories. I've really been encouraged throughout this entire month. We've heard people from this stage. We've heard people in our respective groups on Sunday mornings. Many of you were here on Friday night for our missions rally. And I was just so thankful to hear the stories from all of our global partners who are on this stage. There's something powerful about stories. And everybody, everybody here has a story. We all have stories. And it's important for us to share those stories. For those of you who've gone through Rooted, you know that weekly, each of you shares your story. And stories are important not because God uses those stories to build us up, he uses those stories to encourage the body and build up the body. That's why, if I can encourage you, if you're not part of a group here at church, get yourself connected to a group. Share your story and hear stories. It's important to allow others see that God is working. As we bring our month to a close, I want to take a moment to thank our global partners in the gospel. I see a number of them here this morning. I've seen them throughout this month. Did you know that it takes a lot of effort for our missionaries to come here and to be with us throughout February? And so I encourage you, when we're done here, go and thank them for taking the time to be here. Thank you to all who have made this month so special. Thank you to all who attended the rally on Friday night. So much work went into that rally. So much preparation. And a very special thanks to our missions leadership team and our deacon and deaconess of missions, Rob and Linda Rogus. Our entire team did an amazing job this month. Can we thank our missions leadership team? You've heard some prayer requests from our global workers. 
who are here today. Some are on a plane right now as we speak, going back home. Parents, do you want, do you want to know of a, a crazy prayer, a radical prayer? It's a dangerous one. You might actually start praying if you have children, maybe they're in high school, maybe junior high school, maybe college. Maybe pray, God, are you calling my son or daughter to be a global worker for you? That's a crazy prayer. That's a dangerous prayer and a prayer that most parents will shy away from. No, no, no. I, I wouldn't want to pray that because God might answer that prayer. But maybe there are some parents here who might want to start praying that. God, are you raising up a global worker in my child? In my grandchild? Maybe for some of you right now, maybe who are deciding, maybe about school, maybe about your long-term career, pray, God, what are you doing in my life? Are you calling me to serve you in a different location? And for every one of us here, this week we can be praying, God, how do you want me to better serve you for your kingdom? And so my prayer for us as a church is that we will continue to live out our mission to know Jesus and make him known. And with that, we bring this month to a close. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the letter to the Philippian church. From one friend to another. One partner to another. And thank you, Lord, that we are also the recipients of this beautiful letter. Thank you for this month. Thank you for our partners in the gospel. We love them. We appreciate the impact that you make through them. Help us to continue to encourage them. Help our life groups and all our groups to care for our missionaries, to stay in touch with them, to send them supplies and gifts. Help us to pray for them and stay connected. And I just pray for our church, God. Thank you for this rich legacy. 55 years here on this corner. And you've built this legacy because of Jesus. And Father, you've called us to steward your church in this season. Help us to do that, to be stewards. We want to see the gospel continue to progress. Father, would you use each of us and would you use us corporately? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.